Welcome to the Sales Squared Podcast, your destination for leveling up in sales, marketing, and business development. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Join us to hear real entrepreneurs with real experiences, engaging with real experts from the world of sales, business, and entrepreneurship. And now for another Sales Squared Value Bomb. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Sales Squared podcast. Today we have Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump who are one of the biggest podcasts right now on iTunes. They talk about health, fitness, business and they have a whole lot of fun too on that show so highly recommend going to check those guys out on iTunes. But the conversation with Adam today was really about the business of being an expert, how businesses can build and grow their sales in particular if you're a personal trainer if you have a fitness business there's some really really good relevant pointers in this podcast also how to connect with people from all different walks of life how to sell efficiently to different kinds of people the journey of building a seven-figure media business and how to grow and leverage your social media following and even monetize it. So hold tight for this one. It's a really, really great conversation and there's a lot of good takeaways from it. My real passion is actually in sales and business. My whole family, uh, when you look down the line of my my mom, my my father, my uncle, my my grandma, grandpa, like everybody in my family Mm -hmm. are, uh, are salesmen or women. And, and in all different aspects, but uh, it kind of runs in my blood. And so I kind of just fell naturally into it. And I had no idea when I first got into fitness that it was going to be like that. You know, I just assumed that, you know, personal training was more about your fitness knowledge. But quickly I learned uh, the importance of communication and sales and, and business. And that was really uh, where I had a lot of my success when I was working for a big company was bringing that background to the the fitness space really before me in in my area nobody in in leadership or in management really was speaking to that most like fitness leaders or trainers or what we called fitness managers back then somebody who would oversee a bunch of trainers Mm -hmm. were really focused on the fitness the science the nutrition that side of the business which I I think is very obviously important but nobody really talked about uh the the business side of making money and scaling a business and I just fell in love with that. No doubt. I think that's a really, really good point as well in terms of, you know, there are so many people out there who have, you know, deep, deep knowledge of specific areas. So, you know, you get fitness people, you know, maybe kind of PhD types, people who have, you know, done so much research and, and, you know, maybe they've had good experience too. But I think we can kind of talk about cross industries as well. So not just fitness, but I think what it comes down to is, the people who we see are really, really successful. It's not just kind of the IQ side of things. It's also the EQ, right? And I think communication, uh, sales skills, marketing skills comes kind of really, really uh, deeply into that. So what are kind of your thoughts on, on, you know, these people, I guess, who, you know, they want to become entrepreneurs. They have a ton of knowledge about a specific area, be that, you know, maybe they want to set up a really successful fitness business or, you know, marketing or whatever it may be. But um, in terms of what skills they should be working on um, to kind of broaden their chances, make it, you know, give them a better shot in terms of having success. Um, what would you recommend to those kind of people? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Cause I remember as a, as when I was first getting into, into training and worked my way up into management. And when I started to oversee, you know, anywhere between 15 to 30 trainers at all times were underneath me. And, you know, I noticed that there was like a very wide spectrum of trainers that were successful. And it wasn't always the guy or girl with the PhD. It wasn't always the guy or girl that was great at sales. It wasn't always the, the person that had all the personality or the person that had the physique. Yeah. Um, and then there was always like one or two that really separated. And I like to think that, you know, the Sal's, the Justin, myself tend to be those people, the ones that have a nice blend of all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not be the the smartest trainer at all of them. There might have been somebody who went further uh, with their education and 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 understand anatomy and biomechanics and nutrition at a higher level. But you know enough to communicate what you need to communicate to the average client. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there was somebody who went uh, much further in communication or was just a great salesperson, but then they lacked the the physiology side. Right. So 
you know, I think having a, a nice blend of all that, and you got to be careful not to become so hyper-focused on one of them because yeah. it, re- it really limits you as a personal trainer or being in fitness because that's going to attract those people. And when you look at your client base or you look at your client uh, folders and all the people that you have that are coming in to train with you, you have a really wide spectrum. I mean, I've got doctors, I've got engineers, I've got teachers, I've got lawyers, I've got blue collar workers. You have just this wide array of people and personalities. And if you can't really be a chameleon and, and learn to, to yep. switch by the hour, uh, you really struggle as a, as a fitness leader because you have to be able to do that, I think, to really excel. Otherwise, you get really good at your niche group. So, and I've seen both be successful. So I don't think it's if someone's listening and they're like, well, that sucks. I'm, I'm putting all my energy into being, you know, getting a PhD. I've had trainers that were very successful, that were poor communicators, that weren't really good in sales, but they were just fucking absolutely brilliant. I mean, they mm-hmm. were walking encyclopedia and I knew that I could hand any client that wanted really, really in-depth information about them or had a, a really, uh, you know, unique, challenging problem to overcome that really educated trainer typically can help them. But it really limits your ability to, to scale quickly in the space if you're only good at one aspect. You know, if you're only good at sales, if you're only good at the mechanics, if you're only uh, good with the nutrition, if you're only good with one piece, yeah. you're only going to attract those people that really only need that help and that you have that thing to give them. You know, ideally, I think kind of getting yourself educated or experienced in, in all aspects is, is what everybody should be doing. So, you know, there should be this happy balance of, you know, learning business, whether you go to school for it or you're reading about it and, and learning on your own. Uh, you should always be stretching yourself uh, on the, you know, training side. So learning whatever new modalities are out there or the, the latest science somewhere that's coming out. Uh, so make sure you're researching on that. Nutrition, of course, is always evolving and we're always learning more and more. I mean, there's so much to learn in uh-huh. this field because we don't have all the answers still. I mean, we're, we've just uncovered in the last 10 years this, this microbiome and the importance of our gut. And, yeah. you know, this is all emerging science right now. And so, these are the things that I think that you have to constantly be learning and staying on top of because this is what people hear it in the news or they, they hear someone talking about it or their doctor mentions it. And, you know, as a trainer, you want to be able to, you know, have a conversation around that. So, and then also the ability to communicate. I think uh, the communication piece uh, slides right into the sales piece. I mean, we yeah. talk about the show all the time that, you know, good sales is just really effective communication, the ability to mm-hmm. uh, transfer your information or knowledge to that other person is really all effective sales really is. And so, yeah, it really takes kind of all of that to become this superstar trainer or pivot into being an entrepreneur where you actually are starting to lead others underneath you to, to build your business. And I think all of those areas are extremely important. Yeah. And I love what you said there about being a chameleon. I think um, that's a really, really important piece, especially in sales and communication and, you know, whether you're a, a personal trainer and you're working with different clients with different kind of personalities, or if you're a salesperson, an entrepreneur, one of my, uh, my sales coaches actually said that that was kind of the most important thing uh, about sales is being able to kind of be aware of who this person is, you know, are they an analytical type? Are they a, you know, a people person? Are they, you know, a reserved kind of, you know, maybe a slower decision maker in terms of sales or, you know, just a more reserved person, but being able to actually understand that and then relate to people and communicate them with them in a way that is, uh, yeah, really, really relevant to who they are as a person, I think is a, a massive skill that is going to be, you know, it's going to help you no matter what you do with your, you know, your, your career, your life. I couldn't, ag- I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's uh it's a, it's a lost skill that people I don't think pay attention to. I think we're, we're so caught up in ourselves that we, we forget the person who's sitting across from the table from us. And yeah. if you can speak their language or get on their level, uh, it's really, really tough to, to sell them thousands of dollars or personal training or whatever it is you're trying to do. I mean, we, we yeah. are we're talking about fitness right now, but it really does carry over into, you know, all, all different businesses or all different types of sales. Like you've got to be able to understand the person. I mean, I used to even practice things where I, I would mirror them, um, their, their body language, mm-hmm. uh, their, their tone, 
Um, so, and it was something that I practiced so much in my early twenties that it just comes natural now. Yeah. And every once in a while I, I kind of chuckle at myself cause I, I catch that I just do it naturally, <laughs> uh, but it was a trained skill for a long time where I would sit across from somebody and if they're slouched and they're in their chair or they're leaning forward or they're to the side, like I naturally kind of cock to the same side and mm-hmm. you know, if they're, they're, their voice fluctuates. Mine would also, if they talk fast, I could talk fast. If they talk real slow and they're very calculated, I could slow down. So yeah, yeah, that ability to kind of mirror the person across from you. So you're both on the kind of the same wavelength, I think is really important when, when you're communicating any of your ideas to them and hoping that they're going to receive them. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. And just for anyone kind of listening at home, there's a, there's a book called navigate 2.0, which is one of my favorite sales books out there. And that kind of goes deep into kind of some of those, uh, some of those different situations you might come across in sales and different people you might encounter as a, you know, as an entrepreneur or whatnot. So, um, no, I completely agree with all of that. And I think it's, um, it's really, really important stuff. But in terms of, of you guys over at mind pump, I guess we haven't really actually dived into that too much for everyone kind of listening at home right now. So before I kind of segue into kind of some of the stuff that you guys are doing right now and then, you know, how you found success, um, I'd love to kind of hear your kind of, I guess, quick summary of, of you know, the last, I guess, gosh, maybe five years of your journey at Mind Pump and how kind of it's progressed from, you know, you guys just kind of maybe sitting in a room uh, chatting about, uh, you know, fitness and, and, and business and, and, you know, just kind of bullshitting, I guess, about a lot of stuff that you, that you guys do, which, uh, which I love and think makes you, you know, really, really unique. But uh, yeah, tell me how that it kind of went from there to kind of where you're at today, where, you know, you've got a, you know, probably over a million downloads, I think, a month on, on iTunes and, you know, all of this stuff going on with sponsorships and, and programs and whatnot. So yeah, that's, that's a really good place to start me. So I actually appreciate you giving me a place to start because sometimes people ask that really vague question. It's like, man, when I think about the things that have led to the success of Mind Pump today, uh-huh. it, it's really a culmination of all four of these men's journeys over the last probably 15, 20 years. That's really, truly made it successful. But five years ago in, in particular, that was actually right when I turned on my Instagram. So uh, that's a good place to start because at this point in my career, I had taken a little two and a half year, almost three year hiatus from fitness and I pursued cannabis mm-hmm. and uh, was a part of that movement in the Bay Area, The first, some of the first clubs to ever get started. And I had a lot of success with it um, financially, but I really was unfulfilled. I just, I got to a point where I'd reached kind of this financial goal that I was always driving to get to. I'd reached that and exceeded it. And, you know, for the first year of it, I I was happy and spending money and having a great time and and thought I was on top of the world. But quickly that, that high kind of wore off. And I realized that I was actually really unhappy and, and unfulfilled. And I found myself in the worst shape I've ever been in my life. I had some of the, the worst relationships, meaning like I had great friends that uh, we are, I was on the outs with at that time. I had a, a breakup in a relationship and yet my pockets were super deep and it was the main thing that I'd been driving for for most of my life was to yeah. reach this financial pinnacle. And I got there and it just wasn't what I expected to be. So one of the best things that ever happened to me, and that was in my uh, you know, early, early thirties, late twenties, when this all started to come together. And that was at the moment where I thought I want to get back into fitness. Um, and I thought this would be a perfect time because I'm completely out of shape. Uh, I don't know how old you are, but one of the challenges that I had as a young, uh, fitness leader or trainer was, you know, older clients, you tend to train the middle-aged, uh, overweight person trying to lose weight. That's yeah. uh, successful enough to afford a trainer. And most of those people, you know, would, when I'm trying to coach them through their, their journey would look, kind of look back at me like, come on, kid, you know, you're only in your 20s and you're in great shape. You've never been fat in your life. Like, how can you relate to me? Mm-hmm. And that always used to bother me that, I, that they were right. You know, like, you're right. I've never been fat. I've never had to try to lose body fat before. And I don't know what that struggle's like. And so for the first time in my life, I was sitting in a position where, I was uh, almost 20% body fat um, and I was, my volume of training was extremely low. I was still kind of working out, but very inconsistent. My diet was terrible, uh-huh. but I had deep pockets. And here I am like, okay, it's, it's time for me to make my way back into fitness. And at that time, uh, I was playing in a men's basketball league. And this is where I met Taylor, who works for our company now. And Taylor was a young 23-year-old kid at that time. 
and he had built a um, e-commerce site of, and he built it through his Twitter and his Facebook. And up until this point, I had heard people talking about, you know, having a social media business and making a ton of money, but I had never met a person who had actually done it. At this point, it's, it's rumor to me that, yeah. oh, you, you could start a Facebook and make millions of dollars off of, off of an e-commerce site. And I was like, eh, yeah, it's cool. I've, I've kind of figured out success on my own through the brick and mortar model, and I wasn't really paying too much attention to it. Although I was watching the transition of businesses as everybody was starting to move over into these social platforms to promote themselves, I really wasn't buying into it until I met Taylor. Yeah. And Taylor kind of ex explains to me, and he's telling me, oh yeah, no, I started off with this Facebook following and my Twitter, and then I pivoted over into this business. And he kind of briefly tells me this, and I'm intrigued as hell. And I said, hey, can I take you to lunch? He says, sure. You know, so the next day we go to lunch and I just pick his brain. I just, I'm so intrigued by this kid who has built a six figure business for himself at this age. Um, and what he had done is, uh, you know, I'm a sneakerhead. He's a sneakerhead. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but it's really common if you're looking for a rare pair of sneakers, you know, the just the latest release of Jordans or whatever, and they sell out really quick. Well, right, there's a lot yeah. of guys like me that, are silly enough to pay double the price of the shoes because they want them. Right. And there's actually, you know, we have now almost like a stock market for shoes, shoes, they go up and down in value. You could wear them and still resell them for a good price, especially sure. when they're, yeah, when they're rare shoes. Well, so Taylor was in the middle of all of that community and he became known as the guy who would connect the people that wanted the sneakers. He, a guy like me looking for the rare Jordans, I couldn't find them. I'm willing to pay double the price. Oh, he has somebody he knows that has them and is willing to sell them. And the, that's not like a new model. So it's not like he invented this. But what he did that was brilliant that I had never met anyone who had done this before. Instead of making a broker fee or charging people to connect them, he actually just did it for free. And he became known real quick as the guy who you know, would hook people up and they, he didn't charge any extra money. So I'm not having to pay an extra 50 or a hundred dollars on these sneakers to be connected through him. So he kind of flipped the, the model on its head and just became known as the guy who connects everybody. And what was so brilliant about that, because he became known as that guy and nobody was doing this, he built a huge, well, a huge 10,000 or so followers on Facebook. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was so brilliant about it was all 10,000 followers are all sneakerheads. And this is something I try to teach people that are trying to build a social media business when you're yeah. chasing likes and you're just trying to get followers. Like it doesn't really matter if you have a million followers, if they're all there to see your ass or they're all there <laughs> just to see your body or your cool car. It's like those yeah. don't necessarily translate into customers. And what he had done that was so brilliant was he had attracted all the right customers because the business that he pivoted into was all centered around sneakers. He started making clocks with sneakers on them. He made air fresheners that were made of like Jordan model shoes. He made keychains. Mm -hmm. He had all these, all these, all these apparel and ancillary items that were related to sneakers. So of course, all these sneaker guys are coming through him anyways to find the sneakers they want. What's $5 on some air fresheners or a yeah. t-shirt that, you know what I'm saying? So brilliant, just an absolutely uh, brilliant idea. And it really kind of lit the fire in me to do the same thing in fitness. And here I am coming out of the marijuana business. I'm out of shape. I'm on my journey to get, uh, get fit. And I'm going, okay, I, I'm going to try and dip into this. So, and at this point I have no Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter. I don't do any of that shit. Like I, uh, and I used to lie, I used to tell people I had friends in real life, you know, so I didn't have this, I didn't have this, <laughs> social media thing to connect me to people. Yeah. But now I see value in, okay, turning it on for business reasons. And so I, I literally turned my Instagram on and my angle, because I know I'm in fitness, that was, so I'm, I'm using the same kind of model he did is like, okay, I'm going to try and attract fitness people because I'm going to build a fitness business. And then honestly, at that point, I have ideas of how I'm going to monetize, but I'm, that's not my focus. Uh, my focus is just to build an audience that's centered around fitness. And from there, I'll, I'll figure out how I'm going to make money. I mean, I know I could sell coaching and training and I did do things like that, but I wasn't focused 
on how exactly I'm going to make money from all these people. My goal was just to gather an audience of people that were all like-minded or there for the same reason. And so it just made sense that I would begin tracking my journey from fat to fit. Mm-hmm. And so I would post, and at this time, um, and I, I don't know if somebody did this before me, but I followed most of all the big fitness pages at this time, and I didn't see anybody doing this, and I've seen a lot of people after me do this, but I was posting very real, shitty images of myself in the morning. Yeah. There was no great lighting. I didn't wait till I got pumped up and filled, filled up with carbs and water. I showed you what my shitty ass looked like first thing out of bed. And, and then I would compare it, you know, every, every week on the, the, what I was doing. And I would tell people, you know, how I was doing this. And from the very, at the very beginning, I'm talking about walking and, you know, using five pound, 10 pound weights and only working out for about 20 minutes. And my message was very counter to what was, what was being, uh, you know, permeating the fitness space right at that time, which was beast mode, no days off kill it. You know, all the leg memes are going around and stuff. And I'm this guy going, Hey, you know, that's not the approach. That's a very short way to get to your results. Sure. If you starve the body, you hammer it. Anybody can lose weight, but let me show you guys how to do this the, the right way. And for, uh, forever, you know, and, and that is our goal should always be to do as little as work possible to elicit the most amount of change. hundred percent. So, so if I'm somebody who is coming from sitting on the couch smoking weed and eating Taco Bell, there's no reason for me to go into the gym and I'm already eating chicken breast, white rice, broccoli, training for an hour and a half, seven days a week, running on the treadmill every day. Like that's just absurd. Like there's no I'm I'm only gonna set myself up for failure if I come out that way. So this is kind of the message that I'm presenting with my transformation pictures week over week. And you know, at the beginning, it was very slow. Taylor told me this when we first met. He said, Adam, you're going to be doing this for a year, maybe two, before you even feel like you get any real traction. And I remember being like, fuck, okay. But that was good advice because I wasn't expecting anything early. I wasn't expecting to go viral. I wasn't expecting to blow up. And so I knew I could put my head down and just grind away at this. I'm posting anywhere between three to four times every single day. Mm-hmm. It was all centered around my kind of fitness journey. And, you know, I started to gain traction, you know, starting to add 10, 20 people, hundred people. I remember it was a big milestone when I reached to 1000 people actually following me. Yeah. And I, it just, it started to speed up as I got in better and better shape, which took, you know, six, eight months to really start to see some major change in my body. And what ends up happening after about a year, year and a half of doing that, I go from 20% body fat. And so what I had, and I announced this on on the Instagram, like I had posted, said, okay, you're going to watch me go. I'm in the worst shape of my life at 30 years old. I'm going to, I'm going to take myself to the best shape of my life. And I'm going to document all of that. And at that point in my life, even as a trainer for, you know, 12 years or so, whatever it was at that time. I had never seen anything less than about 8% body fat, eight, 9%, I think is the lowest I've ever, I've ever measured my body fat. So the goal was to get sub 7% body fat. Um, and I just kept going until I got there and I did the whole hydrostatic way. And I shared with the audience when I came all the way down to 7.2% body fat. And that's when I was at about 10,000 followers or so. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm getting a lot of inter, uh, engagement on my page and people are now starting to ask me like, Hey, do you do coaching? Stuff like that. So I started to do uh, online coaching at the same time. And this is kind of big before I got really popular. We're talking five years ago. Uh-huh. And that was uh, one way that I was kind of supplementing in, uh, income. Meanwhile, I'm also talking to uh, Sal. Sal and I uh, had known of each other for many years. People had told us we needed to meet, that we were like each other, and that we would just we would make great business partners and friends. And I'd, I'd heard that message a million times, and so had he. And, and we finally got connected on Facebook. And the reason why we did was he kind of knew what I was doing on Instagram to build this little business. Well, he at the same time was working with Doug on creating a online program that he could sell online. So he's at the same thing at the same time as I am. We're both kind of like looking at the fitness space going, okay, 
it's time to move from the brick and mortar model of training clients in person and let's move out into this virtual world because I think this is where we need to be in the next 10 years. He went the route of creating the program first. I went the route of looking to build an audience first. So it really made this perfect marriage when we finally did all link up. Right. And him and I were talking on Facebook. He sends me over the first uh, version of Maps Anabolic that he had created with Doug. And Great program, by the way. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And what makes it so amazing that I try and tell people all the time and why it was so brilliant and what got me to call him immediately and say, come to my house, let's all meet and talk, mm-hmm. was at this point in my career, I'm starting to put this all together myself, that the information that I've been sharing with my clients, the way I've been training clients for so many years is not ideal. And what I need to be doing is less of the hammering the shit out of them and really focusing on the core lifts training three days a week, not overstressing their body six, seven days a week and focus on the things that are going to get the biggest bang for their buck yep. and, and teaching people that it doesn't need to be that hard, just working out smarter. And the program was designed this way. And I was like, okay, this is brilliant. This is opposite of what you're seeing all over the internet that's being sold. Everything else is being sold based off of intensity and hype. You know, it's the cool ass video drenched in sweat, crushing it. It's the whole motivational bullshit. And this is the opposite. It's, Hey, you only need to train two or three days a week. These are the, you should do a full body type of routine. that should look like this. And him and Doug just did an incredible job on the very first one that I said, Hey, let's all get together and let's, let's meet. And we did, and we got in a room, and it was absolutely fire. Uh, and what I mean by that is just the four of us were talking over each other for like three hours, just mm-hmm. spitting out each other's information and knowledge and what we're all seeing in the fitness space. And we instantly knew, like, okay, there's chemistry amongst all of us. And Doug pipes in at one point and says, hey, we should, we should throw this on a podcast. And, you know, we all looked at each other and said, yeah, that'd be awesome. How hard is it to do that? And Doug's like, shit, it's easy. I got all the equipment. Uh, we don't need much. Doesn't cost much to do it. Um, well, let's record some podcasts and put it out there. And that was really um, the birth of Mind Pump. And we started in Doug's living room and we, we began recording these episodes. And again, what was so important was we didn't sit in that meeting and go, okay, this is how we're going to make money and we're going to do it this way and we're going to make a bunch of advertising money and we're going to sell programs and we're going to get rich this way. Mm-hmm. It was, we had a message that we knew that was counter to what most people were talking about in our space, especially on Facebook, Instagram, and on social media platforms. And we knew how valuable it was. It needed to get out there. Somebody needed to call all the shit out yeah. and say, you know, training like that is not the way to train and eating like this is not the way to eat. And in fact, there's a much better approach. And the thing that nobody's talking about is the psychological part, the part that really made the difference in clients, the, the mental piece, the mental hurdles that you have to go through. That's what really, and, and, and getting to the root cause of what got you into this really bad condition or terrible shape that you're in right now. Yep. Of course, we all know that it's the excess McDonald's that, that got there, but there's something that caused you to drive to that and become addicted to that. Yep. And it's the psychological part that we all had learned over all these years of training clients that, man, when I got my clients to overcome that or at least face that part of them, that's where the real success starts to set in. And so it's, but it's not sexy. It's not you know, it doesn't click well on Instagram. It's not something that draws a bunch of attention because it's not flashy, but we knew it was the right message. And we knew that if we came out and presented it, the people that did listen, that did apply the information and apply the knowledge that we were sharing, we knew that we would fundamentally change them. It wouldn't be a quick fix in six weeks. And they would say, Oh wow, that was awesome. I shredded a bunch of weight this last week. No, it would be stuff that they're like, wow, I've created new habits in my life. And I'm seeing myself improve, you know, week over week over week. And we were teaching them to connect the dots to other things other than just the scale, like their, their mood, their stool, their sleep, their sex drive, all these other markers that are affected by our training and our nutrition. So that was the real secret sauce and the magic when we first started the podcast. But 
we really were terrible. Like, I, I mean, I, I look back or listen to some of the old podcasts and, you know, none of us had any sort of radio TV background. Sure. We were good communicators, but you know, we weren't at all, I think, talented podcasters. Shit. In fact, I still don't consider ourselves uh, masters at this craft. I mean, it's, they say it takes 10,000 hours to become a master and right. we've done the math before. I think we're only at about three or 4,000 hours or so wow. talking on these things. And so we're, we're still halfway there to becoming great in my opinion. So it's just like when I was a trainer, I mean, I, I don't think I was a great trainer until I had put 10,000 hours in that. So we knew that going into this, we weren't going to be the best at podcasting, but we knew that the message that we were presenting and the information we were presenting was needed, was really needed. And that was what gave this thing legs was okay yeah these guys are a little crude yeah they're not the most professional yeah listen, but you couldn't tune into a, an episode and not walk away with information or knowledge or some paradigm shattering moments it was a lot and that's what we did we really came out addressing the shit that even we believed to be true for many years as trainers yep. that we came to realize that wasn't true and so we're sharing this this knowledge and information and it's, it, you, we knew we were blowing people's minds because it blew our minds. It was yeah. like when I, when I found out about the six meals a day is a myth that it speeds up your metabolism, that blew my mind. When I realized that I could do less and get more, that blew my mind. So the stuff that we were sharing, that's what really started to gain the audience. And then we've kind of refined the skill over, over the course of the last five years as we've, as we've continued to grow. And then, of course, there's many other things that have happened with the business and how we've pivoted into advertising. And when we, we didn't even release the first program until after a year. So a year we, we focused on gating our core audience and providing value to them uh, without ever trying to monetize and sell. And this is also something that I always give to advice uh, to people. I talk to a lot of people that are wanting to start a similar business and I got no problem sharing all the details about ours. And I'm very, transparent about how the business makes money and, and what was hard, what mistakes did we make? And a big mistake that people make when they're starting a business like this is they're so focused on how they're going to generate revenue right away right. that they're, they're, most of their energy should be, can I even just prove that I can get a bunch of people to want information from me? Mm-hmm. You know, if they, don't, if they don't want any information from you trying to sell something or thinking so much about how you're going to sell something is really a lost cause. Like, cause it's a, it's hard enough just to gain the attention of tens of thousands or potentially millions where we're at now. That's fucking hard. So folk, I try and tell them like, focus on that. Can you just be that guy or girl that X amount of people are coming in to listen to you and hear you uh, before you even think about trying to sell them? And I think a lot of people get turn their audience off because they, they try and monetize way too early. And, and, and a lot of this is, uh, speaking from experience, like we made a mistake, Justin and I had been partners previous to all of this getting started. We were building a, an app together. Right. And when I had first built up that 10,000 following, this is before mind pump it right before it had officially started. Justin and I had wrote a, a nutrition guide and this was my first taste of this mistake. So you talk about mistakes that I've made. Uh, in building this business, this was one of them. You know, I I thought, you know, hey, I got ten thousand followers. Fuck, that's a lot, right? I should be able to sell a nutrition guide. And we dropped that nutrition guide, and I was, you know, sitting down, rubbing my hands together with Justin, excited to count <laughs> the money we were about to make. Yeah, you know, and we sold like five. And uh, I was like, I was like, oh shit, ten thousand people equals five sales. Oh boy, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was. Right. So, you know, when I talk about these things, it's not me being, oh, I know everything because of what it's because I fucking made the same mistakes, man. I got in there thinking once I had that many eyes on me, I could have a business. And what I found out quickly was it wasn't that easy. So we kind of knew that when we went into Mind Pump that, hey, just because we got a few thousand people listening to us doesn't necessarily mean that we have a business on our hands. And in fact, when we had agreed we all had a business in our hands was about a year after we had already started the podcast and we'd released a couple hundred already. And we were all coming to work and we were going, 
man, I got three or five DMs today and two emails of people that just want to give us money. And the other guys are saying the same shit. They're going, man, I'm getting this almost every day too. People feel that we have provided so much value for them. They feel like they owe us money and we're getting messages like this on the daily. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, and then we all looked at each other and said, okay, it's time. And we had had the program ready to go. So Doug and Sal had already built everything out. We could have switched it on on day one, mm-hmm. but we were very careful not to make that mistake of trying to monetize too early. And we wanted to wait until those people were bigger. And what's important is that we're getting that many people asking and the business still didn't just go gangbusters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still remember looking at sales and we were, it was a, it was exciting if we could sell a program every day, if a program would get sold every day, we were super pumped and it didn't look like that at first. Of course, when we turned it on, there was a the little initial wave of people, you know, the first core hundred, 200 people bought the programs right away. And much of those people responded to us afterwards saying, Hey, I wasn't even going to follow the program, but I feel I just, I owe this to you guys because you've changed my life over the last year. So I wanted to contribute to your cause. And that's when we knew, okay, we've got something on our hands. We can literally, we can scale this thing now. 100%. And I think kind of learning from that, what you did was you listened to the market. You provided value first. You provided a ton of content. And then by listening to what the market was was saying and, and kind of learning about what they, they wanted to have from you guys and, and, you know, what they could get from you guys, then that's when you decided to monetize. And I think that's a big, big, uh, a big, big thing, kind of entrepreneurship these days, you know, every, everyone thinks they can kind of start a business, but they don't think about, you know, what's the value I'm going to provide to the market first and foremost, but right. they sell way before they actually, you know, come up with something that can provide, you know, true value so that someone will actually, actually exchange uh, money for what they're offering which I think is a, a massive thing. So let's talk about a little bit about kind of the, um, the, the journey in terms of you guys monetizing. And I know that you obviously have some, some great sponsors now. And what I really, really like about the way that you guys talk about that on the show in terms of uh, your sponsor marketing is that you don't kind of do these. I know on some podcasts you kind of get these cheesy ads at the start of, a, you know, start of the show or whatever. But what you actually do is kind of communicate the products. You have a real discussion. You even kind of throw out objections. Like I've heard you talk about uh, Four Sigmatic, for example, one of your um, one of your sponsors, and you know, you say yourself like some of these products they don't taste good, but they have some great benefits in terms of that. So it's kind of almost like a consumer maybe would be asking these these questions. They'll be throwing out these objections, but essentially what you're doing is using kind of your the trust that you've built with you know with your audience and kind of qualifying leads in a sense and, and selling, but you do it in a kind of natural way. And I'd really be interested to hear about kind of the conversion rates that you guys have on your uh, sponsor marketing, kind of some of the su- success you've had with building relationships with these, uh, with these sponsors. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And there's a lot there. And it's hilarious that you pointed that out because this was something that we had got into it uh, off air about because uh, our, four, our four Sigmatic numbers were uh, low one month and <laughs> Uh, everybody was pointing the finger at me for talking shit about the <laughs> right, and it was one of those things that I just wouldn't I wouldn't flex on. I said, "Listen, uh, we've we've been authentic and real in on this podcast for a very long time, and I we don't script anything. We don't go. We don't say. We don't write commercials. We just say, hey, listen, let's let's speak our mind about about the product, and if one of us doesn't like it, then we share that, and we th- we feel that." Being honest like that, I think uh, the most the audience appreciates that, and because we know that hey, there's a there's a there's a good core amount of people that are going to buy for Sigmatic because it is a great product. Yeah. But and and they're more like Sal, where Sal could eat, you know he eats sardines in a fucking can. He does things <laughs> that like I just just won't do because it doesn't taste good to me. Where Sal's like, listen. It's good for my body. I know that. I don't have a problem. I've never had a problem doing that. Yeah. And that's kind of like how Four Sigmatic is. And I'm kind of like, a, you know, I'm a little sissy when it comes to that stuff. It's like, uh, it's got to taste somewhat good if I'm going to be consistent with it. I don't like the taste of it, but I do understand that it is, it's phenomenal for us, but just it's, that's not for me. And I, I think that's important uh, when, you, when you're selling and to the point or to the question you asked about um, our conversions. So we convert four to six times higher than almost any other podcast. Wow. 
And uh, I know this because we have sponsors like Butcher Box and Smoothie Box and Felix Gray who work with other massive podcasts like the Joe Rogans, like Ben Greenfield. Right. Um, Organifi is another company that, that I, I've seen these numbers before. In fact, just yesterday I was talking to Organifi. And I do this. I love to ask our sponsors. I like to know how we rank against everybody else because we take a lot of pride in over-delivering for them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when we first started to build the, the advertising part of the business out, um, we first started with a different strategy. So the original strategy before Taylor came on was, okay, we're going to find, you know, three or four companies that we really like, and we're going to try and lock them in for a contract for an entire year. So we don't have to think about advertising money and uh, it's all set. And that was how we, how we got our first year of advertising. We did that. We locked in a big contract with Thrive. We locked in a big contract with Four Sigmatic and we did one with Organifi. Those were our three main sponsors. And we were doing a, on average, two commercial week cadence on all of them. And what we didn't like, what happened after about a year was we started to feel like, uh, we feel like we're exhausting our audience uh, on these same products. Uh, I actually, I'm starting to feel like I'm actually trying to sell versus just literally communicating when I use the product because it's, if I'm only talking about it once a week or once every other week, or in some cases once a month, it's very easy for me to tell a story or share how I use Ned or how I use Gray or Juve when I'm only having to do it at a cadence of one or two times. So this was really, and this was, this was the brilliance of Taylor and Taylor comes in and you know, now that he's going to be running this department, he says, no, I think it's going to be better for us to have a lot more sponsors, but with companies that you guys absolutely love. So his literally his full-time job is vetting companies. I mean, he is constantly on the phone or back and forth email wise with companies. Now the, the secret sauce behind that side of the house and that not, I haven't shared a lot on the podcast, mm-hmm. but what makes it so special is Taylor is really good at a couple things. One, he's into culture and he's, he stays up with uh, what's um, hip now and what's, what's coming up. And he follows a lot of companies when they're, are they're first starting up and they're on like their first or their second round of funding. Mm-hmm. And so he will go through, you know, 20 companies that he likes. Okay, these brands align with our brand. Uh, the boys already use these types of products. And this is a new company that's coming on the scene. And they just got their first round of funding. So you know that their, their model's been proven. Uh, and they just got a flux of income that they may potentially be able to spend on advertising. And so he cold calls these types of companies. Mm-hmm. And this was really difficult for us the first year that he came in. Uh, his job was, he got a lot of no's and a lot of people scared to advertise on podcasting. And then he kind of, he wised up and he realized, you know, instead of me trying to lock these people into massive contracts, I know how good the boys are at communicating. I'm just going to do like a four commercial pilot and we'll start it even at a, a lower CPM. That's like the average CPM, uh, which is cost per million. Uh, there's a, there's a formula people can Google that are interested in this part of the conversation, um, which is the basic number that everybody gets paid. So every podcaster goes by CPMs. You, an advertiser reaches out or you reach out to them. They ask you how many downloads you get. So for every thousand downloads you get, the normal is about $20. And that's, and what, what I saw right away, which, you know, this was before even Taylor, I, I found this out and I'm like, okay, who made this number up? Mm-hmm. Who, deci- who decides that your thousand listeners are as valuable as my thousand listeners? And who decides that the way you sell to your audience is as good or better than the way I sell to my So how the fuck are we all using this generic formula of, you know, $20 uh, per thousand listens? Like that's right. just ridiculous to me. And so right away I saw an opportunity to change something like this. This is, we don't have to play by these rules. I disagree. And so, because I know too, my two partners and myself, I mean, Sal and I have, and Justin too, Justin's got records himself, but we have like some still standing sales records for the company we used to work for 12 years ago uh, because we were really good at at communicating and selling personal training. So I know that we have the skill set and I don't think that we should be compared to some author or doctor who's on a podcast and he has a following because he's an author or a 
a doctor. It's like he doesn't have the same skill sets that we have, nor do I think we should be compared that way. So we, we kind of put that together early on that like, okay, this CPM thing is bullshit. Uh, how are we going to overcome that to show our sponsors that we're worth more? Okay, well, well, we'll sign for that CPM for the initial four. And so that's what Taylor started doing, saying, okay, well, we have at that time, I don't know what we were doing, 20, 30,000 downloads an episode or so. Mm-hmm. So we were signing for, uh, you know, the, whatever that was. So I think if we started off like making $400 a commercial or so, somewhere around there, give or take. Right. And then we would have four commercials and we would crush. The numbers would be phenomenal. And then they would come back and they'd be like, oh, we want to do more commercials. And we'd say, okay, well, if we're going to do more commercials, it's on our terms. And these are our terms. Uh, we don't go by those CPMs. Uh, we want this much. And I think at that, I think the first jump, we went from 400 to $1,000 a commercial. And it was, okay, this is, we want this much. Plus, we're, we're not going to do reads like you expect everybody to do. We don't, uh, that's not our style. Uh, we know when we're supposed to do commercials for you, one of us will organically bring it up yeah. and we'll have conversation around it and we'll do a call to action at the beginning of the episode. And, you know, there was a little pushback uh, from sponsors at that and we had a hard time, you know, and we lost some people that wouldn't agree to that. And our attitude was, fuck them. This is, we're building this business the way we want to build them. We believe this is something that needs to change in this space and we can do it better. And so we had that attitude of, if we, if a company didn't want to work with us and didn't want to work by our rules, then we wouldn't do anything with them until Taylor finally found all the companies that were smart enough to let us do our own thing. And we, we began starting to piece that together or starting to add more and more sponsors. And he began going, okay, instead of us locking in these big contracts with, you know, four, six, eight times a, a month that we're talking about, let's just talk about a product one time a month. That's it. Let's just introduce our audience. And I talked about this on the show about I don't know, 300, 400 episodes ago, because uh, we're very uh, transparent on the show. Like we tell our audience how we make money and we tell them like what business decisions that we're making. And I shared on the, on the show that we're going to change how we do advertising. I said, uh, we're no longer just going to have a couple companies. We are going to introduce you guys to all these cool brands that each of us uh, use. Some of us uh, use just, or some of the brands just one of us uses, some of the brands all of us use. And we'll, we'll share that with you guys as we start to add these companies. And so that's Taylor just went on a, a tear of finding all these different companies that yeah. are, are aligned with the things that we would all use and we would perform uh, way higher than any of the CPMs that were the norm. And then we started signing contracts for much higher, higher dollar amounts. And now, you know, the, the average is anywhere between 28 to 34, a commercial and, and uh, then we started to ask for uh, commissions on top of that. And so that has now become um, a significant uh, part of this business. But it took almost three years before it made a, a major impact on the business. I mean, before, before that, it was, I think, the first year the company did, I want to say, like 20,000 20, or so in advertising. Then the second year after that, uh, I think we did 80, uh, and then we, we jumped all the way up to 200 and something. Wow. And, uh, and then this year we're projected to do three quarters of a million or more in advertising. Love it. And that was just a, 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 a prolonged process of proving the model to our sponsors that we would deliver on the nor- uh, numbers, uh, finding the right companies that match with our message. And that, that department's been built. Uh, Primarily with Taylor. I mean, that's mostly uh, his job and how he gets paid and what he does um, year round now is talking to this. And then we also have now built an in-house marketing department. So most podcasters, they go through like a podcast, uh, podcast one or Veritone or what are some of the other big ones? Basically brokers, right? Because most podcasters are one or three people at most that start a podcast they don't have time to go seek out companies, so they reach out to one of these brokers that actually go and find companies. Right. And, then, and, and we've, been, we've been offered this many times, and we've turned it down. Now, they, they, on average, take anywhere between 40 to 50% of your revenues. They also go by the CPMs that, every, that I was talking about earlier, where it's like $20 for every 1,000 listens or like that, which I told oh. you that we do 4 to 6x that. So we do 
four to six X if we were working with a, a, a company like that. And in addition to that, we keep 100% of our revenues. We don't have to share it with anybody else. So that is now provided income for, so we have two employees that basically work that side of the house full time, Taylor and Rachel. And Taylor's job is inbounding and getting the, getting the new contracts, uh, signing them, making sure that they understand how we do things. Uh, and, and in this case, a lot of it is massaging the relationships that we already have now that we've locked in most of the people that we, we're going to pretty much work with. Hmm. And then Rachel uh, follows up on all that. So she's in, in direct communication with all the brands because we're working with, I think, somewhere between 20 and 30 brands right now. And she's constantly emailing them and asking them, what, do you, what promotions do you have going on? Now, nobody is doing this in this space. Yeah. Nobody is doing this in-house. Everybody allows another company to be this middleman. And I'll tell you, most of these companies are terrible. They're terrible at matching for you. All they care about is connecting contracts. They're making a big chunk of the change. They just, they, here's somebody who, here's a company that comes into the podcasting space. They're looking to advertise. They just, they, they, they work with 20 other podcasts. So they, they go pitch it to all the 20 other podcasts. Whoever says yes, they match them together and now they're making their cut. They don't vet that company forever. They don't say, hey, is this a perfect match? They're probably not listening to your podcast so they don't even know your fucking message. It's terrible. It's terrible how it's ran right. But it's exciting for a guy like me who sees business like this and sees a huge opportunity for us to do it our own way and potentially teach others how to do the same thing too or like what is happening right now. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jordan Harbinger. Yes. Um, Jordan's a good friend of ours. Uh, Jordan's podcast is um, good six six x ours. Uh, he was, uh, I think, uh, Apple's podcast of the year last year. Has a phenomenal podcast, but he's one of these people who goes through, uh, you know, podcast one in advertising. And him and I were just having lunch the other day, and I'm I'm trying to teach him the same model that we've built and explain to him how valuable it is. And I'm like, I know you're really busy doing all these other things, but you know, I'm talking about you doubling your revenue right away just by you being the one who's doing that, that could support a whole nother one or two employees uh, for you. And the, and the, the numbers that you'll be getting are going to be much higher than what you are now. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of opportunity on that side of the house to help a lot of these podcasters uh, do that. And I feel like a lot of these, um, it keeps calling them brokers, but there's another term for them. I don't know why it's, it's lost for it, but there's another name what they call them. Right. But, it's just like a broker, right? But they're, they're like vultures and they're just taking advantage of a lot of these podcasters that don't know any better. They don't know how much they're supposed to be making uh, for a commercial and they don't know if they should, how to align certain brands with them and they're stuck to having to read reads because that's the, the deal that they make. And so, yeah, no, this is a, this is like, this is a business within this business. That's um, interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. I think I know, it's I love, yeah, it, it speaks a lot about the power of, of podcasting and how it's grown from, you know, something that was kind of quite niche, maybe, you know, five years ago to something today, which is the, the power that podcasts have now to have, you know, such an engaged audience and, you know, the kind of um, power that you guys now have to kind of pick and select who it is that you, you, know, you want to sponsor you. But more importantly, I think when comparing that with kind of the, the broker model is that you actually believe in what you're, you know, what you're essentially selling. Um, and, one of the first things that they'll ever teach you in, in you know, sales training and whatnot is, you know, you've got to believe in what you're selling. Otherwise you need to find something else to, to you know, sell. And I think that's something that's absolutely crucial for, you know, podcasters and whatnot. To be Extreme, to extremely yeah. crucial. And also another big mistake that people make when they, and this isn't just podcasting. I see this um, uh, a lot in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter models too, mm-hmm. is people get to a point where they have a decent following and they start taking on any companies that are willing to use them as a, as a, um, a medium to advertise their business. Yeah. And it's really a, a very poor model. Very, very poor. And, a lot, and the number one thing right now in the fitness space that gets uh, presented to these uh, individuals are supplement companies. So we had a, ter- I mean, I can't even count how many companies we've turned down. We've right. turned down a ton of companies. And you know, when we first started, that was difficult. You know, there was a time when, you know, the first year, Mind Pump made $0. We weren't advertising, we weren't doing anything. And then year two, uh, the business was barely making any money at all. And I think we were paying ourselves $1,000 each is what we were all making. So none of us are making a living off of this shit. We're barely, we're barely getting by. We're all having to do other jobs and stuff. 
So, uh, you know, it was definitely tempting to want to take on a brand like Cellucor who came after us early and, and companies like that, that we thought, oh man, it's a big company with a lot of leverage. They could totally share us and we could grow faster and man, we could use this extra money. And it's like, but we all agreed, like, you know, there's too many fucking products on here that we don't agree with and we don't like. Not right. to mention part of the message that we talk about is that, you know, it's, it's such a small rock in comparison to all the things that you should be doing first to help yourself out. Like it's just counter our message. So we turn that stuff down and I see a lot of these, I mean, we were just talking trash the other day about, uh, what's her name? Paige Hathaway. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I see her, I see her, I see her supplement hop every week. It's like, Every time I, I check back on her page with that, she's, she's, you know, pumping somebody else's supplement brand. It's like, man, these guys are so quick for the dollar. Yeah. I know the conversion rates on that shit. First of all, conversion rates on, on Instagram are terrible. Right. You know, terrible, terrible, terrible uh, rates. And then to be pushing supplements at that too, it's like, oh my God, I know they're not making a ton of money off of that. And maybe when you have millions like she does, it's, you know, a a hundred thousand, a few hundred thousand, maybe you're making it could off. Be more, right? It could be more, oh, especially with um, coming into it with a bit business mindset. A lot of these people on social media, they'll have huge followings for whatever reason. I know earlier you mentioned, you know, it could be aspects. It could be, you know, it could be they do have good content, but when when you don't come for it from, you know, think of it as a business, then you're going to take those opportunities that you know you could be selling yourself short a lot of the time. Oh, for you're so, so true. It'd be, it's going to be interesting to see where everybody's at in like five to 10 years. I, you know, a, a lot of this stuff is going to get washed out. Like I see a lot of people chasing the the likes on Instagram by doing crazy stuff on their Instagram or outlandish shit or butt pics yeah. or whatever. And sure, they're making decent money because they have two, three, four million followers right now. And I mean, yeah, it's a numbers game. If you've got four million people, then half a percent of that buying fucking t-shirts that you bought from China and put your logo on it. Yeah. You can probably make a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, yeah. which you're some young kid and you've never made that kind of money. That's sounds very tempting, but it's fleeting. I mean, at one point, those 17 to 20 year old kids that are buying your t-shirt that was, you know, made from China and you just screen printed your fucking logo on it. It's like right. at one, at one point, those 17 year olds grow up. They go up and they go like, okay, I'm no longer going to wear this guy's brand and t-shirt. That's not even really his. He's not a designer. He's not a, he didn't go to school for anything around that. He's not like really talented there. Yeah. He just got a bunch of people looking at him and he made shirts and we all want, and you know, and you, you attract the very young crowd that wants to be like you. And so they want to dress like you, but they're, you know, it's a shitty material. It falls apart after you wash it three times. It's like mm. all that's, that's fleeting. And yeah, they might be making a few hundred thousand dollars right now, but that's not a real business model. It's not going to keep people coming back and spending money with you. And yeah. most of these guys and girls that are doing that, most of them, they don't know what the lifetime value of a customer is for their business. They don't know any of that shit. I'm like, man, that's the stuff that we're constantly talking about is, you know, how can we provide so much value? And it took about three years to get to this point, but we're now at a point where you cannot consume all the free valuable information that we provide. It's yeah. just, the super fan of mind pump. I mean, unless you can read a, a 20 minute blog every day, listen to a, a two hour podcast every day, watch a YouTube episode every day, open up the email with the fitness tip inside it every day and communicate with us on Facebook and Instagram every day. Like good luck, you know, good luck consuming all. And that's all free. Yeah. That's all free stuff that we're providing to people. And we knew that if we just if we inundated the audience with so much free, valuable content, then as a byproduct, some of those people would be like, hey, I don't feel like designing a program and these guys already have it done. Plus, they've already added so much value to me. I don't mind contributing, you know, a hundred and something dollars for a program, which by the way, we're four to five times higher than they. So when we, when we first started doing the program, we looked at the, the, the medium for um, programs and what the, the medium price was. And it's like $27. And here we are coming out selling at a 130, 150 for some of our programs. Yeah. Way higher than market. And our shit wasn't super nice either. Like we're just now getting back to going back and reshooting it with models and better cameras and better editing. And it's, yeah. we're really dressing it up now, but it was because the rest of the business was providing people so much value. And of course the content within the program is solid. If you follow it. Definitely. it yeah, it definitely works. So 
you know, you don't, ha- you don't have to look so badass. Like everybody's so concerned about the look and attraction and eyes and stuff like that. It's like, listen, if you focus more on giving value to people and your energy was there, like, can I just gain the attention of all these people on a daily basis? Uh-huh. Then, then you get away with a lot more with what, whatever it is that you're selling. And I think that that's what really made it okay that, okay, we have these programs that, you know, I'm wearing, it looks like I'm wearing my pajamas in it and it's shot from one angle and it's like lighting isn't great. And you know, it's like, whatever it's like, but it's good that the content in it is, is life changing. You follow it. It will change. That's what fucking matters when it comes down to it, when it comes down to a long-term business, because X amount of people that will go through that program or that will read all the content we provide, if it doesn't change them or if it doesn't add significant value to them, the likelihood of them coming back and buying anything else from us is very low. Yeah. I think if, if as business owners in this space, if we were more focused on that, then you would see the, you know, the, the amount of money that you would make would two, three, four X because a program, you get one of our programs half off sometimes for 60, 70 bucks, but the lifetime value of a customer is, you know, north of $600. Well, it's north of $600 because what ends up happening is, somebody buys something, they get so much value from it, they come back and they buy something again and they continue to do that. And then on top of that, they have a plethora of free information and everything that's in our programs, we've actually given away for free. Yeah. We've, told, we've told people how we write the programs. We've told people how, how, how to structure it. It's just that, hey, it's all, done to, it's all put together for you so you don't have to go back and listen to all that. And that's what happens. We have enough people that don't want to do that. And that's how you can get away with charging that price because nobody, I remember the first time we had somebody balk and they said something on our forum. They, they made a comment about, oh my God, these programs are so much more expensive than anything else out there. And that person just got lambasted by a bunch of our listeners and fans. <laughs> and said, are you serious? These guys have literally laid out everything that's in there for free. So if you're too cheap to spend 120 or $150 on them, go do your homework and go fucking listen to their shit because they've told you how to do it. Like, stop being an asshole. You know, so you've already got the information for free. And then they've, they've told you how to, everything that's inside the program. And because you're too lazy to even go back and listen, you're pissed off that they won't sell it for a cheaper rate. Like, that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think, now, yeah, one, one thing that I kind of picked up on there, what I think is really important for, for business owners in general, for entrepreneurs, is kind of pick your clients, right? So a, a lot of these guys on, on, or girls on Instagram, um, you know, maybe they've, they've got a big following or, you know, maybe they'll sell, you know, some kind of program for, for, you know, $20, $30. But if you think about the kind of people who, you know, will buy a program for $30, but not buy a program for, you know, 60, 70, 150, the, the latter are going to be the people who are probably, you know, going to buy a program again because they're more serious, you know, they're, they're more willing to invest, you know, a little bit more for higher quality. So and, true. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, that's a really good way to round up. And I think, you know, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Adam, but uh, I really, really appreciate, um, you know, what you guys have done. And I think what you've essentially done is uh, on the surface is kind of, you've built a, a company, um, firstly, based on your, you know, your experience and your expertise, but also based on communication, right? Communication is really at the core of everything you do from the, the free content you give away to the podcast, to the way that you're able to express the value of, of your sponsors and, and your programs and that. So, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, give you guys a shout out for doing, doing great work and I uh, can't wait to see where you take this. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate, man. I appreciate the support and, you know, whenever you, uh, whenever you go live with all this, let me know and we'll push it out on, uh, on our platform, which I'll leave you on this note, I think is something that we saw as a huge opportunity in this space. And if you're in this space and listening, uh, is to not have the scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. We saw this huge opportunity on in the YouTube channel and you see it now, like we don't even see Sal, Justin and I, um, and you, you hear it on our podcast. We've brought on plenty of trainers or people that sell programs online too. Uh-huh. A lot of people are afraid to do this. They're afraid to allow somebody on their platform that is technically com- competitors. Mm-hmm. We just know that there's more fucked up people out there than there are people trying to help those people yeah. that we're not afraid to elevate others, especially if they have a good message. And that has served us uh, so much now in the business. And at the beginning, it, it's, it doesn't really because you're just helping all these other people out and it doesn't start to pay off. But where we're at now, 
when I, uh, when I call a Ben Pekulski, a Mike Matthews, a Dr. Ruscio, a Dr. Jordan Shallow, mm-hmm. I call one of these guys, which who all sell programs themselves, and I need favors or I need something from them, all of them feel so appreciative that we help put them on the map yeah. that they'll do almost anything for us. And there's a lot of value in that in, in business and in scaling a business is in the relationships that you build and not being afraid to give to others without getting anything in return. Because I believe if you do that, that it will come back tenfold for you. 100% agree, man. 100% agree. Well, you know, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll catch up again another time. Yeah, man, just let me know. We try and do this as much as we possibly can for everybody. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Well, uh, yeah, you take care and we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. All right, Cam. Thank you for listening to the Sail Squared podcast. As always, we want to hear from you. Reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn under Cameron Scott or on Instagram under the Cameron Scott underscore. And you can find me, Scott Hennessy, on LinkedIn. So that's H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And Instagram, Henster. So it's H-E-N-N-S-T-A underscore gram. Now, what are these people going to want to do? So they, I think they need to go and visit our website, right? One million percent. So go to our website, squaredsales.com, and you can find, firstly, a free guide on how to literally skyrocket your sales on LinkedIn. So this is the stuff that we use with our own business, with clients who literally create six figures in revenue or more. And also... You can just get on our website, you can find our blog, you can read some really, really valuable articles that are going to help you in your business today. So uh, reach out to us, come visit us, and we look forward to hearing from you.